You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. The great season of Lent began this week on Ash Wednesday, and our Catholic Chicago radio program spent a great deal of time talking about how to prepare for and live out the season of Lent. Let's listen in. Back by popular demand, Todd Williamson, the Director of the Office for Divine Worship in Chicago, and joining also will be Terry Navarro, Pastoral Associate and Director of Religious Education, St. Mary Star of the Sea in Chicago. Todd and Terry, welcome to the program. How are you gentlemen doing? Doing well, thank you. Uh, lady and gentlemen. Oh, lady. Oh, sorry about that, Terry. That's quite all right. And uh, Todd, you and I go back uh, at least... What twenty five thirty years? At, yeah, at least at least twenty five years. You've been the director at Office for Divine Worship. How many years? I'm in my twenty first year. Twenty wow. first year. And Terry, you've been at pastoral associate at St. Mary Star of the Sea along with DRE for how long? Um, I've been employed here by the parish. This is my thirty fifth year. I taught in the school for about seventeen years before I moved over totally to the ministry side of the parish. You sound about twenty nine years old. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there for thirty five years. Yes, and actually, my husband you. and I were married here forty five years ago. Wow! Well, congratulations. Now, where where did you go to high school, Terry? Mount Assisi Academy. Oh, sure. Okay. Now, I think I just saw on Channel 7, they did a feature on your grammar school, didn't they? They sure did, and so did Channel 5 the day before that. So we're very proud of our parish school and all the efforts of um, everyone here in the community supporting the the parish and the school. Now, what was the uh, broadcast about, Terry? What was the theme? Uh, The students and how they're managing extremely well during the pandemic and how, in spite of the pandemic, the students' I-Ready scores have increased in both math and reading. Despite COVID-19. Yes. Exactly. Sounds yes. like a proud faculty person, yes. former faculty you, person. Yes, yes. So proud when you, parishioner. When you started um, 35 years ago, what grades were you teaching? I was an early childhood teacher, so mainly preschool, but I did teach second grade for a couple of years. That's wonderful. Well, our topic today is going to be talking about the whole topic of Begin with Ash Wednesday, the Lenten journey. And we have a full hour so we can cover a lot. Our phone number three one two two five five eight four zero eight with any questions regarding Ash Wednesday, the why, Lent the Why. So maybe as a way to begin, Todd, you know, just because we could begin in so many different directions. We know that next Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, kicks off the season of Lent. And the Lent mean the word Lent means springtime. But now why what is the why and the wherefore of Ash Wednesday? Tell us about the significance, ter- uh, Todd. Well, it, it, historically, Ash Wednesday um, began in the uh, early centuries of the Church. Ash Wednesday began the um, final 40 days of fasting and prayer for those who were going to be baptized uh, at, the Holy, at the Holy Saturday Vigil. And... Um, and mainly it was just for them. It was just for the unbaptized who were who were preparing. 
But then uh, over the centuries, um, as adult baptism began to die out, the faithful began taking on ashes at the beginning of Lent, which is actually very biblical, right? Uh, Job sat in a pile of ashes, and the prophets talk about putting on sackcloth and ashes as a sign of repentance. And uh, ultimately, the the whole uh, faithful, all the faithful, began Lent that way, even to this day. Now, it's not a holy day of obligation, but all around the arts, all around the world, people come to church in regular times. Even the pictures of the people lined up at St. Pete's downtown to receive ashes. Could you explain, just in your own words, both of you, how is Ash Wednesday that important in people's hearts that I mean, you don't ask them to come and they come? They come. They want to be a part of this special day. You asked, Mark, uh, can you explain it? Uh, no, okay. I can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't carry. At least, carry, at least, don't Mark, want... at least Todd is very okay, honest. Let's, let's move on to the next yeah, question. Thank you, thank <laughs> you for coming, <laughs> Todd. We'll, we'll take it over to Terry now. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, isn't it? it mm-hmm. Because, as Mark said, it's not, a, it's not a holy day of obligation, and yet people want to begin uh, Lent with with ashes. Terry, I'm sure, I mean, that's, that's how it is in the parish, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think part of it has to do with um, all of us recognizing, yes, we're sinners. Yes, I can do better. This is um, turning over a new leaf. This is a, a way to begin again to, to repent and to be on this journey in community with other people who are like-minded. And so I think we also get the support of seeing others journeying with us through through the Lenten season, which will begin on Ash Wednesday. It's kind of a good starting point. So maybe uh, for a moment, both speak to the changes, and what does it mean for the faithful? Well, you, you know, real quick, uh, Greg, Father Greg and uh, Mark, to sprinkle ashes on the head is actually uh, the most ancient way of distributing ashes on Ash Wednesday. Uh, again, as I mentioned, it's, it's very biblical, um, if you look at the uh, Old Testament example, uh, the prophets talk about uh, covering your head in ashes. And it was literally that sprinkling on the top of the head that, was, that is the most ancient way. And uh, as Father Marek said in, in, in that uh, PA announcement, a demonstration video that the Archdiocese put together, which I think was a great idea. Very well done. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, that the, uh, the Vatican, in the midst of the pandemic... Um, suggested that worldwide as a uh, uh, as a means of distributing, um, and then uh, Cardinal Supich has uh, uh, allowed for uh, a second means. Terry, how are you going to do it in, at at uh, Star of the Sea? We are using the suggested method, and the ministers will be sprinkling the ashes on the heads of the people in silence. You know, it's interesting because uh, for you, Terry, Todd, Mark, and myself, all of us. Since earliest childhood, we always received ashes on the forehead. I remember being in grammar school, always watching my classmates come back with ashes, you know, come back down the pew, see who got really slammed <laughs> on the forehead and who got really hit hard versus hardly hit at all. And, uh, and so the thing is now, the tradition of ashes sprinkled on the top of the head, has that been common at the Vatican for several hundred years, or in oh, parts, uh, of, parts of uh, Europe? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and even even today, uh, mm-hmm. when you when you watch uh, uh, Ash, Ash Wednesday Mass at the Vatican, uh, that that's the way that the Pope administers ashes. Now, the thing is, if it's, if it's done, the top of the head or the forehead that we knew growing up, you know, for a moment, Todd, what is the significance and meaning of Ash Wednesday to be marked with ashes? Which means as we begin the whole Lenten journey. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting that, I mean, ashes, uh, uh, ashes is uh, the result of, of of something being consumed, right? It's 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 and the words remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, it, that all points to, uh, oh my gosh, our brokenness, our mortality, our um, you know, our our, uh, our 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 fragility, our sinfulness. But always, I always have to remind myself that the normally, under normal circumstances, outside the pandemic, the ashes are put in the form of a cross, mm-hmm. which, which always says that it, it, you know, always has the last word. The cross always has the last word. Mm-hmm. That, it, that it is more powerful than our brokenness, our sinfulness. It's interesting because the change, for for me, the change will just take away one real real um, pro- proclamation because you'd watch the news or you walk down the street and it's you see the cross on people's foreheads you realize um, it binds us together I mean we won't have that visual piece um, this year but I'm sure I mean that's just me but Terry when I'm thinking especially like at holy name we're in the we're in the process of planning for Ash Wednesday for Lent, for Easter. It's a different kind of planning. Um, what's going on at Mary Star of the Sea in terms of how you're looking at Lent and how do you engage people from a distance? Well, first of all, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to live stream two of our masses throughout the pandemic. So we live stream the 10 o'clock mass in English and the 12 o'clock mass in Spanish. And we have been able to connect with parishioners that way. Um, we also try to keep them as updated and informed as possible using the parish website and the parish Facebook page. Um, through those technological outreaches, we have been able to connect with those who are still not yet comfortable coming in person to celebrate um, in the in the church. We have also been making the announcement for the past three Sundays informing people exactly how the ashes and when the ashes will be distributed. We have posted those things as well. There are signs on the church doors and the rectory doors so that people know the hours of the masses and also the um, other times that are going to be available for people to come in for a short amount of time and receive the ashes and continue on their way. That it's a time of penance, sacrifice, and good works. Maybe Todd... And then um, maybe Terry, in terms of local parish, how how do you see that in terms of penance, sacrifice, and good works? How do we do that in a pandemic? Well, I think we do it in um, um, really in, in the same way, even during the pandemic. I, mm-hmm. I I think that you know those practices will, will still hold. Um, I, I I do have a very um, specific kind of focus in terms of my um, Lenten observance, um, whether it's uh, through fasting, prayer, you know, giving alms, the traditional ways, or maybe it might be taking something else on, uh, in, in, you know, 
that um, maybe uh, uh, I go to mass daily or I do something I do something that's out of the ordinary. Um, in in my mind, whatever it is, it really only has one purpose, and that one purpose is to help me to prepare to for me for 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 a baptized person. Uh, anything I do during Lent has one purpose. It's meant to help me to prepare to renew my baptism at Holy Saturday Easter Vigil or on Easter Sunday. Uh, that's the only way that the penance that the, uh, uh, the uh, almsgiving, the fasting, makes sense to me. It, 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 we don't do it just for its own self, right? We do now, it for a, a purpose. Now, Taj, you say there is wonderful, but I've got to ask Terry, you know, being someone in the parish, both as a pastoral associate and DRE, in the lives of many people, you know, we, we unfortunately know this, they look for the fastest way to get the ashes, to come in and out. So what Todd says is beautiful, right on target. <clears throat> but how do you couple that, Terry, with the reality of people's lives in a hurry, busy, I just want the ashes and go? Your, your, your thoughts on that? So we are able to offer three masses on Ash Wednesday, one in Spanish in the morning, one in English in the morning, and then a bilingual mass at 7 p.m. However, with the um, protocol set out by the Archdiocese, which we follow very strictly, there's a limited number of people who are able to attend those masses. So we have also done something this year that we have never done before. Um, prior years, we have offered three different prayer services throughout the afternoon and early evening for people to come and receive ashes. Again, because of limited numbers allowed in, this year we're going to try something different. Between the hours of 12 noon and 2 p.m., and again between the hours of 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., we are going to allow people to come in anytime to um, socially distance themselves and process up to the altar where we will have ministers there to distribute ashes and then ask them to continue along the path in front of the altar down the other side aisle and exit. Throughout this time, we will have some liturgical music recorded playing in the background, and we figure that that will give people about five or ten minutes, depending on the lines, um, time to prayerfully approach the altar, receive the ashes, and then again prayerfully exit the church, keeping everyone safe. Of course, everyone will be tempted when they come in and their hands sanitized as they come in and will be directed to the path so as not to be crossing other people as they come through. See, I think that's an excellent idea because normally to have a church full, but in pandemic times, you know, the cathedrals could hold 1,200. Our capacity is 200. I'm sure St. Mary's Star of the Sea, you have a fraction of what you can hold. So I think think it's a great idea to have the people the possibility to come in, receive ashes prayerfully, and then leave. I remember that, uh, you you know, we've been talking about uh, what does Lent mean. I remember when I was back in fourth grade, uh, Sister Donatus asked, okay, boys and girls, what are you giving up for Lent? I raised my hand and said, homework. <laughs> she, Sister Donatus didn't think that was too funny. And then uh, I go home. My mother said, Greg, you know, with Lent today being Ash Wednesday, what are you giving up for Lent? And I said, my brother. <laughs> Mom didn't think it was too funny. So it, uh, I thought it was being pretty hysterical. <laughs> We're speaking with Todd Williamson, who's the director of the Office of Divine Worship, and Terry Navarro, pastoral associate director of religious ed, St. Mary's Star of the Sea. We've talked, we're talking about Ash Wednesday, and we're talking about Lent. 
Um, one of the things, Terry, you had referenced was the live streaming, which has been very important at Holy Name Cathedral. And also, uh, I'd mentioned that Channel 7, 930 Mass with Cardinal Supich has grown another audience. I mean, all of a sudden, it has media has caused us to reach out to folks that maybe would not have connected with us. So my question, Todd, to you and to Terry, so as we're looking at traditional Lenten events, practices, prayers, like Stations of the Cross, parish missions, what about even that Holy Thursday where people would go visit churches, how is that going to be uh, different this year, and how might media actually play a role to expand our congregation. Now, see, along those lines, before you answer Todd and Terry, and that is, we have to remember, last year, Ash Wednesday fell on February 26th. We had Ash Wednesday as normal in parishes. The first weekend of Lent, as normal. Second weekend of Lent, as normal. On Saturday, March 14th, things closed down. We lost the third, fourth, fifth week of Lent, plus Holy Week and the Triduum. So people have to put that in perspective. This is our first time that we will be without the norm- normalcy of Ash Wednesdays versus previous years. So you've got the floor, Terry. I'd be I'd be really interested. What 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 star of the sea? Are, uh, how are how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing Lent virtually? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, um, again, we will continue to live stream. Our two of our Sunday Masses, we continue to have morning Mass, and we're sure that we'll have an increase, we usually do, of the attendees there, but we still have plenty of space um, to accommodate that. Um, Stations of the Cross, we are, of course, not going to be able to do live, and the saddest part of that is we usually do a living stations, mm-hmm. um, which incorporates the children from the school and the adults from the community. So that is going to be greatly missed for the second year. When would you normally do that, Terry? When? Yes. Um, the uh, Friday before Palm Sunday. Okay. And um, so what we're doing this year is making available to our parishioners um, books of the Stations of the Cross and inviting them to take them home and to pray them as a family. We did that for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe for the Novena. We made packets with the entire Novena and invited people to come and pick up a packet and then pray together the Knights of the Novena. That went very well. So we are hoping that the Stations of the Cross will work that well as, as the uh, Novena did. Um, I have also made available and passed out yesterday, as a matter of fact, to my religious education families, a children's version of the Stations of the Cross bilingual that they can do and pray at home together as a family. We're also making available... The rice bowl, we've been announcing mm-hmm. that the um, rice bowl from Catholic Relief Services will be available. We have them in both English and Spanish. Another way that families can get together and pray as a family community, the little house church is, as the, the base began, and hopefully that that will continue to bring some continuity and some cohesiveness to the parish um, as a community. Now, Terry, in past years, have you had a Lenten mission maybe every other third, second, third year? Yes, we have. But this year, of course, no parish mission. No parish mission, right. And we do not have any plans at the moment. We have options available to people. We um, put those out. Some of the other places that are offering those virtually where our parishioners can join on at home as well. I'm glad you mentioned that, Terry, because I've heard that from a couple of parishes as well, that they're 
that they are going to do virtual missions um, and, and they are going to do uh, virtual evenings of reflection. Um, and, and so people, I think people are just being, trying to be creative in how to, how to continue uh, to do Lent virtually. And it's a natural environment to practice some of the tenets of Renew My Church because every parish doesn't have to do their own mission. We're connecting uh, with a, a few parishes in our area, and it'll be one mission um, that we share together, which is kind of a different concept. But because it's virtual, it's much easier to do that, too. Yeah. There's something you said before, um, Todd, just so important. Even though we still are enduring the pandemic and things are different, you know, physical distancing in church, numbers are down by way who can come. And yet, as Mark mentioned, the whole thing of uh, live streaming masses, which has taken on a life of its own. And by the, by the real heart of what Lent is all about, that by no means changes. That stays the same. Talk more about that. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, no, matter, no matter what our situation is, the, the season of Lent calls us to, um, to self-reflection, to look at our lives, to see where we have gotten off track, to see where we need to, um, where we need to strengthen our relationship with Jesus, uh, with the Father, and um, and and we we do that, you know, in so many different ways that we can still do, whether we're in the pandemic or not. Here's the thing: I read a great article some years ago that Lent is a great time for what I call he called it speed bumps in the road. You know, I, you know, I made the mistake of hitting speed bumps at about 30 miles an hour. I didn't see the speed bump, and I thought the loss of my whole chassis in the bottom of the car. And so I think, you know, Lent is really an opportunity to slow down because our lives are so fast-paced. So Lent puts speed bumps into the road to make us slow down and reflect the real purpose and meaning of who we are, our relationship with the Lord and the community and each other. Todd, probably some of our listeners would want to know, can you go through a few of the regulations in terms of Meatless Friday, fasting. Where where does Greg, age limits? Yeah, where does Greg fit into those age limits and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> any, any, anyone um, uh, over the age of, of sixty five, and and anyone who's infirmed um, is uh, um, dispensed from the the, the fast, um, the uh, fast of of. Uh, um, uh, Fridays or uh, Good Friday, uh, Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. but the um, abstinence uh, from meat is um, it, again is something that that's that's actually very ancient, and um, you know we, we've been we observe that as Catholics we give up meat. Um, we we do that for a, a couple of reasons. I mean, part of it is to be in solidarity with those who um, who cannot afford. Um, who cannot afford uh, meat? In, in in some ways, that was um, that's one of the more one of the oldest uh, connections to to fasting and and to abstinence from meat. Um, and it's it's you know it's it's one of the three traditional um, observances of the season. Now, I think you know just for real clear for our listeners, uh, Todd, that to be uh, you know over sixty five, does that mean, for example, like on Ash Wednesday? And the Fridays of Lent, to be over sixty-five. The thing about uh, uh, abstinence versus no meat. So, if someone is seventy-two years old, may they have meat on a Friday? 
as, as I understand it, that, that applies to the fasting, okay. which is which is to go, um, you know, uh, to limit yourself to mm-hmm. um, two, two, two small Correct. meals that are not to equal one. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that the meatless Fridays holds for all of us. Mm-hmm. And also the thing is, uh, I remember as a child, we got so caught up with, you know, what are you giving up for Lent? You know, give up candy, give up drinking, give up cigarettes, which is all well and good. But I also want to take the turn regarding the meaning of Lent is Lent's not only a time of giving up. Lent is a time of giving. And in terms of, you know, what are the areas in my life that need change? And I always ask people for reconciliation, uh, what are those areas in your life that keep you from being the person you want to be? And to name them the deepest part of you. And that's what during the season of Lent we work on. Maybe just take one area. You can't do everything but to take one area. And that's what come like with baseball coming up next week. They have spring training. They spend five or six weeks to get ready for the baseball season. They just don't show up game one and start pitching and hitting. They have a whole spring training. And I always talk about Lent being spring training in our spiritual lives, which is so very, very important. Do you know, and Terry, maybe you could speak to the, the idea of Lent also is what Father Greg's talking about, service. In, it, it, during these times, like I know things have changed. We're still involved in service at Holy Name Cathedral in different ways. Are, are you looking at anything in the parish in terms of um, providing service opportunities during Lent? Well, I know one of the things that I mentioned particularly to our young people is that with this weather and the snow that we have here in Chicago, one of the best things they can do is to go and offer their service of shoveling the sidewalks for some of their elderly neighbors. Um, First of all, the older people should not be out doing this, and especially in this cold weather. But this young people are eager to get out and to do something. So that was one of the main suggestions I made to my RE students and their families. Get out and help your neighbors. Those who are also not should not be going out to the grocery stores. Call them up. What can I get for you? Leave it on their front porch. Very simple things like that that make such a big difference in the lives of someone. My father Mm -hmm. is an elderly person and should not be going out shopping. So between myself and my siblings, we take turns. Dad, what do you need this week? And someone goes shopping and leaves it on his porch. It's along those lines, uh, Terry, I know that Mark's been going door to door in his neighborhood asking to cut their grass. (laughs) (laughs) So and I do all he of... Comes, he comes and, right back home because everyone says no. And I do all of Father Greg's shopping. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> see? <laughs> but see, those are marvelous hands-on ways. And I find, especially with young people, that when they do finish the uh, shoveling, they, they, they go for the elderly for shopping, they feel great about themselves, mm-hmm. that they have made a difference for others. And those are tremendous ways of not only giving up, but giving back of service to the community and those are great habits to form, Mark. Can I go back to one of my questions? Because I don't think, Todd, we answered it. The idea on Holy Thursday, people visit different churches with the regular. Are you discouraging that this year? Are you saying, you know, you have to have a full staff to do the, um, you know, the sanitizing and stuff? How is that going to work? Just so people understand locally, can they keep their church open, but also can many of these groups it's a spiritual activity on holy thursday night right and and the um the archdiocesan covid task force mm-hmm. which is is made up of a, a number of 
of people, the vicar general and, and uh, uh, epidemiologists and, and, uh, and such, that task force developed those guidelines. And yes, the answer is um, uh, they are, uh, the, the guidelines have uh, said that there should be no parish pilgrimages mm-hmm. to uh, various churches this year. Uh, those are usually organized, uh, you know, with with buses, and so certainly bringing people into uh, a contained area like that is um, not safe. Right. Uh, and 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 so because of that, uh, and it's all out of a, of out of a, an abundance of caution and precaution, and we want to keep each other safe. Um, that that that's where that comes from. So this year it'll be different, um, uh, as it was last year. Hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll be back to normal. And that's an important clarification. And people, you know, may want to travel the web and visit church websites because many churches do have little virtual tours uh, on the website. That's just a different way we're going to have to do it. Terry, what, I know from being in parish, you're so busy preparing Ash Wednesday and Lent and Easter for all of the parishioners. How 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 are you preparing? What makes sense for you in terms of approaching Ash Wednesday and this Lenten season? I'm glad you asked because I've been dying to put this plug in since it was first mentioned at the first break. LTP is providing this wonderful faith community called Living the Sunday Word. It comes on Thursday night, Chicago, from 6 until 7.30, and we have become a virtual faith community. Um, This program was started um, last year in the midst of the pandemic. We began meeting virtually every Thursday before Holy Week and all through Holy Week, all through the Easter season. Took a little break during the summer, and we started back up again in ordinary time in September. This is our last week this um, tomorrow. uh, Today, actually, will be our last time in ordinary time, and we start a whole Lenten overview um, next week. And we look at the scriptures and the readings and the collects for the upcoming Sunday, and it has tremendously increased my appreciation and um, ability to participate more fully in the Mass, even though I'm at the Masses and making sure everybody's in place and where they're going. Mm -hmm. It gives me this opportunity to really focus and hear the readings and to discuss them and to think about them. So that's something that's uh, I would suggest to anybody... Now, Terry, let me ask you, are, do people do this in small groups virtually, or is it the entire parish as one listening? No, you do it in, at your own home, mm-hmm. on your own, your own device, um, you know, within your own family, if you'd like. Oh. You can just log on. They use a, uh, something called Adobe Connect, so you don't see all the other people, but we are able to communicate with each other through a chat box. And um, it's just tremendous. There's always liturgical music and prayer and reflection. And we have really formed quite a tight-knit community without even knowing these people from across the entire United States. So how do our folks get connected? LTP.org. LTP.org. And they would be looking for the program Living Living the the Sunday Sunday Word. Word. Yes. What a great... Now the thing is, you know, Todd, in the work you do 21 years as the director of the... uh, uh, Office of Divine Worship, in your own personal life, Ash Wednesday, less than a week away, what does this mean for Todd Williamson? I, Lent, um, I, I try every year um, 
to to literally um, do all I can to to make to live differently during these forty days. Um, I take on the liturgy of the hours on a daily basis much more um, much more um, uh, forcibly than than I, I I normally am able to. Um, I, I make time uh, every day to to enter into deliberate prayer, right, so, and and some quiet time and and um, uh, some reflective time. Um, I do uh, an examination of conscience every night before bed. Um, I, I I really I really try to to look at these uh, days as 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 calling calling me to live differently. I remember years ago when I was at St. Zachary's, and it was not Lent, but Advent, and our pastor, Joe McGinnity, who has since passed away, said to the staff, I want us to go on retreat during Advent. And he picked a day, and everybody said, we're too busy planning for the parish. He said, if you're too busy to plan, if you're too busy planning for the parish, we're in the wrong space because we need we need to plan together as a staff. And I thought, wow, that was that was life-changing for me during these times because when you're so involved in parish tied you with the archdiocese it becomes almost all-consuming you know mm-hmm. how exhausted you know are you folks after easter in terms of you know what i mean you hit well i'll give another one that, and that is many people feel because of the pandemic smaller numbers allowed into church there's this um false assumption that the four of us are working less Mm-hmm. I have found the exact opposite. Yes. The pandemic has made it harder because there's been no playbook. We're going, we're doing as we go along, changing, rechanging, undoing, doing. So now, Terry and Todd, that has to be your experience, too, that the pandemic has anything been, oh, what a time now to slow down and relax. It's probably magnified the work that you do. Absolutely. Um, I can attest, even for my poor religious education families, the schedule that I came out with in September has literally been changed 10 times. Yes, yes. Um, and so the, the people have been very understanding, and they get it, and they understand this is all for the safety of everybody. But every time you think you have something planned out well, you're like, oh, wait, nope, you have to change that. So you're doing and redoing and adjusting, and people are used to it now, but it indeed does make for um, – flexibility. I have learned to think out of the box a lot more. I have one tremendous thing that I have done that will continue trying to get religious ed to be more uh, family catechesis. I'm meeting with my parents in small groups and going over the Sunday liturgies with them bilingually so that they can go home and break open the word more with their kids. That's something that I'm going to continue in the religious ed program from here on out. But this now has magnified the amount of hours for your work. Yes. Yeah. We need to bring the program to a close. Uh, you know, maybe just for a second, Todd, if you want to learn more about Lent, how do they contact the Office of Divine Worship or some type of web? Well, if you go to the Archdiocesan webpage, there is a uh, link for uh, Lenten resources, and they are they're, they're everything from um, uh, materials that you can uh, get free online, or, or materials that you can order, uh, to um, virtual virtual uh, prayer opportunities like Terry was describing with the um, LTP uh, v- virtual gatherings. 
um, re retreats, virtual retreats that, that uh, you can make use of, um, as well as uh, uh, prayer services. Our thanks to Father Greg, Mark, Todd, and Terry for that great information. On our Mission Matters program, host Megan Mio interviewed Father Mark Weber, a Divine Word missionary priest who has served in many roles in his career. Father Weber shares some wonderful stories and memories of the Society of the Divine Word as they celebrate 125 years of mission in North America. Here's a highlight. Good morning, and welcome to Mission Matters Live, a program focused on promoting a spirit of mission among the people of God in the Archdiocese of Chicago. My name is Megan Mio, coordinator in the mission office. Our engineers this morning are Mike and Javier. You are listening to WNDZ 750 AM, and we hope you'll join us every third Thursday of the month from 830 to 9 AM. This month, we are lucky to have Father Mark Weber on the phone. He is a Divine Word missionary priest who was missioned in Ghana in his first years as a seminarian and young priest. He was then missioned to the Archdiocese of Chicago to work for justice, to form other young seminarians, and later to offer pastoral ministry. He was elected in 2005 and again in 2008 to be provincial of the Chicago province which includes parts of Canada, the U.S., and the Caribbean. And from 2012 to 2018, he also traveled outside the Chicago area as the General Secretary for Formation and Education to coordinate training and development of Divine Word missionaries around the world. And most recently, he is now forming future missionaries right here in Hyde Park. So welcome, Father Weber. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, as I just introduced him, Father Weber's mission experiences are incredibly diverse. Uh, he knows our local area here as well as some of the global issues for um, Divine Word missionaries. So he's an excellent representative of the Divine Word missionary uh, community. <clears throat> and I'd like to make this early note that uh, these missionaries, both priests and brothers, are also sometimes referred to as SVDs. We may use that uh, acronym. It's quicker, um, since this is an acronym for the Society of the Divine Word in Latin. So um, SVDs, the Society of the Divine Word, is the largest Catholic religious order in the world devoted to missionary work. Today, there are more than 6,000 priests and brothers serving in 84 countries. And I've asked Father Weber to join me today because... As of October 2020, the Society of the Divine Word is celebrating 125 years since the first Divine Word brother arrived in North America. So this is a perfect time to highlight the missionary work of SVDs and how they impact our archdiocese as well. <clears throat> so, Father Weber, let's start by getting to know you just a little bit. Can you tell us uh, about your journey as an SVD and share some of your favorite memories? Sure. I mean, you kind of summarized what I've been doing in terms of assignments, and um, 
for the most part, they were not assignments that I asked for, but God blesses us anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> even even in uh, places and doing things we didn't necessarily choose. Mm-hmm. I guess it might be a blessing of the vow of obedience sometimes. But, right. uh, you know, I've just been blessed with such, such a variety of experiences and uh, of places uh, that I could never have imagined I have gone to. Mm-hmm. And through it all, you know, I just see God blessing me with these wonderful confers, my brothers in the SBD, as well as wonderful people mm-hmm. uh, who formed me and shaped my life mm-hmm. and touched me with God's love. So uh, just a real sense of gratitude whenever I take the time and kind of look at where I've been. Um, I'd like to share one memory um, that kind of, uh, uh, I think I share a lot with the the younger guys coming up to show, you know, especially when you enter into another culture and live among another people, um, you have your ups and downs. When when I first went to to Ghana, I was studying the Chui language, Chui, Mm -hmm. P-W-I. It's a fairly large language group in the south of Ghana. And, uh, you know, a lot of memorization and learning tones and things like that. Mm. But we would have classes in the morning and then, uh, you know, go out to the the market or whatever and use what little twee we learned in the morning. Mm. So I was going down the road and I met a man and in my my very best twee, I greeted him saying good morning to him. How are you? Isn't it a nice day? And he just paused and looked at me, and then in English replied, I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. I don't know your English that well. (laughs) And my twee was so bad, he didn't even recognize his twee. So I tell that part, you know, it's so discouraging. But then, you know, maybe a year later or sometime later, um, I was... uh, giving a talk to a group of youth, and uh, they were all just kind of staring at me. So after a while, I turned to the catechist who was with me, and I said, they just don't understand anything I'm, I'm saying. They're just looking at me. And the catechist said, they're just staring at you because they can't believe you're speaking twee and they can understand. Okay. So it was one of those, oh, hallelujah moments. <laughs> oh, that's good news. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like to tell that story, especially to the guys in formation, because yeah. it's kind of the bookends, you know, the discouragement you feel at times, as well as uh, those moments when there's a real breakthrough in the culture and mm-hmm. and understanding. A connection, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And that takes time, too, I'm sure. Ah, uh, uh, time and effort, yes. <laughs> An ongoing journey. Wow. Well, now, you know, we, we've heard about some of the things that you've, you've done over your career, but um, maybe we can get a general introduction to the Society of the Divine Word. I can't imagine anybody who hasn't heard of Divine Word missionaries, but... Um, can you tell us about the, the mission and the charism of the congregation? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, as our name, well, uh, as our common name, as Divine Word Missionaries suggests, mm-hmm. you know, first and foremost, we're missionaries. And mm-hmm. um, our primary goal in our Constitution states, you know, we want to go where the gospel is not well known or where 
uh, the church is not yet well established, and um, you know that's who we are primarily. But I think there are two aspects uh, of our charism today that are uh, really significant for us, and they've just evolved in the last uh, two two decades in some way. The first is um, since the uh, 2000 general chapter of the society, mm-hmm. we've been describing how we do mission or the spirituality behind our missionary activity as prophetic dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, that we engage wherever we go, we engage in dialogue with people of no faith people seeking faith, people Mm -hmm. of other cultures than our own, Mm -hmm. um, and people who are poor or marginalized by the society around them. Mm -hmm. And we bring the gospel in in the dialogue. That's the prophetic part, um, to bring what what we see as the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I think that's really key to our charism today. Mm-hmm. And the other side is um, interculturality. Um, we've always been, uh, from the foundation time, you had uh, when St. Arnold Jansen began the society in 1875, mm-hmm. um, already at that time you had uh, an Austrian and a German as among the first ones, and uh, they don't necessarily get along all the time. <laughs> so they were multicultural from the beginning. But mm-hmm. in recent years, we've just appreciated that more mm-hmm. and have been more intentional yeah. about moving from simply the fact of being guys from different countries and different cultures mm-hmm. to really intentionally trying to uh, learn from one another uh, engage with each other, mm-hmm. appreciate and celebrate our different cultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and in so doing, we hope that, you know, we give witness to the fact that yeah. there's room for everybody in God's God's kingdom. It's possible. <laughs> I was it's thinking, possible. You're exactly. showing that it's possible because I feel like we see so many examples of how it doesn't work. Right, um, right. But that here, right. this is a community of, of men who are very intentional, and they, they I'm sure you face challenges and, and difficulties in being intentionally intercultural. Oh, sure. It's not, yeah. the, the key thing is, if you want to move beyond just being nice to each other, <laughs> you have to right. get into the, you have to put effort into it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah. and now just to clarify then, you've got um, members, priests and brothers from who are originally from all over the world then who have joined the congregation, the society. Right, right, right. And how we, uh, we kind of operate is at a time when uh, a young guy applies for acceptance into perpetual vows, mm-hmm. he also applies where... Uh, wherever in the world he would like to work, uh, what we call the first assignment. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some we join and fully immerse ourselves in whatever province uh, 
we are assigned to. So like the time I was in Ghana, I was a member of the Ghana province. I really okay. didn't have uh, any formal links to my home province here in the Chicago province. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, <clears throat> yeah. in, in making assignments, we intentionally tried to mix up <laughs> guys from different places working together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that really encourages the um, that interculturality, that that necessity. You you have to interact, dialogue, um, in order to to live together. Let's talk more about the reason for the show, which is 125 year anniversary of mission and ministry uh, of Divine Word priests and brothers in North America. Um, so you know, Father Weber, can you kind of just give us an idea? You know, some some of the highlights. How did it all begin in North America? And then, can you bring us to you know somewhat to the present uh, in the work of Divine Word missionaries in Techni, Illinois? I can try. <laughs> Do your best, uh, Brother Wendelin Meyer was the first SVD to come to North America. He was sent in eighteen ninety five. I think, and uh, it was mainly to connect with German Catholic immigrants here and selling uh, German language magazines that the SVD produced. Um, and they started out east and eventually got to the Midwest, where, of course, there were a lot of German Catholic immigrants in the Chicago area, and settled just north of Chicago in what was called Schrumerville at that time. Um, and started a technical school for boys in 1901, mm -hmm. which is how Techni got its name, kind of a shortening of the uh, technical school, mm -hmm. and then um, eventually started the printing press there to do printing in English here in the States, okay. and uh, opened the first seminary there at Techni in 1909. Um, mm -hmm. And as early as, I think, 1905 or so, um, they saw the, the situation of African Americans, especially in the South, mm -hmm. and saw that as, you know, these are people that we're called to, to evangelize, to, to minister to. Mm -hmm. And I think in about that time, 1905, is when they first started in Vicksburg, uh, Mississippi, and expanded from there to other parishes and, of course, parish schools, along with the Holy Spirit Missionary Sisters, mm -hmm. and um, started the first uh, seminary, particularly for African-American candidates in 1921 wow. uh, in Greenville, we kind of were run out of town there and moved to the uh, closer to the coast, the Gulf Coast of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, um, which was the only seminary that accepted black candidates for many years. Uh, um, yeah, that's early, so, 1920. Yeah. But at Techni itself, um, you know, the guys there, of course, helped in, in parishes around there. They had, like, retreat uh, programs, weekend retreats for, uh, for men, and I think women, too. Um, and then here in Chicago... Um, of course, you know, we're all involved in the the cause for uh, sainthood for Venerable Augustus Tolton. Yep. And, you know, he died at such a young age after having established St. Monica's Parish uh, for 
African American Catholics here in Chicago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And for a while after he died, there I think they tapped into neighboring pastors to kind of cover the sacramental needs of St. Monica's. But around 1915, already the SVD had the reputation of working with black Catholics in the South. Yeah. So the archdiocese here asked them to step in. And so uh, different SVDs helped at St. Monica's from about 1915 on until it merged with St. Elizabeth's uh, into St. Elizabeth's around uh, 1925. And then we expanded from there. The SVDs took over St. Anselm's, where I served for some years um, in 1932. So, you know, we have pretty good connections to the Archdiocese here in those ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, parish ministries and ministries with communities that, that you know, um, you know, had certain needs or, or you know, were not being tended to um, otherwise. And I mean, I can see how Divine Word missionaries could see that, you know, this is mission territory. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're hungry for it. You know, this is where we want to be. Um, wherever the need is, um, and y- your own ministry at St. Anselm. Um, how, how, what are some of the other ways that Divine Word missionaries have uh, ministered right here in the Archdiocese of Chicago locally? Um, well, there was uh, an outreach for many years uh, to uh, Hispanic Catholics, um, not based in a parish, not as taking over a parish, but uh, kind of having a team that help multiple parishes uh, do outreach to uh, uh, Latinx uh, Catholics. Mm -hmm. And uh, for many years, we were full members of the Eighth Day Center for Justice, which was a coalition of uh, mainly religious orders of men and women uh, working on both local and national and international justice issues. Um, and um, a number of our guys worked in the archdiocese and communications office and especially in ethnic uh, ministry offices over the years. Okay. And, of course, we're a strong presence at Catholic Theological Union. Um, a couple of our professors um, yeah. uh, right now, Steve Bevins and Roger Schrader, who actually wrote the book on the prophetic dialogue that I was was talking about earlier, um, which really became a kind of a global textbook for mission theology now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mean that very literally, they wrote the book. (laughs) There's a book yeah, called Prophetic they, Dialogue yeah. where they lay well, they it out. Well, actually wrote a few of them. But, <laughs> and that's uh, not the only one, right. Yeah, yeah. But both of them, I, I, I'll admit, I was a student at CTU, and, and Roger Schrader was my advisor for a time. He's amazing. Uh, yeah, and, and you're right. Those are That's the standard. That's 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 where we're, we're building from the, their shoulders. Um, yeah, right. They've had a, a big impact on people who've ministered, lay, religious, ordained, um, who now serve in the Archdiocese of Chicago. So yeah. that's, that's very big. And um, around the world. I mean, the book yeah. has been yeah. translated, I don't know how many different languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Not now, to uh, brag or anything, yeah. but <laughs> no, <laughs> I no, am no. proud of my Hold brothers. Up. Hold up your best examples. Um, 
that makes perfect <laughs> yeah. sense to me. Well, and and I I will say I know that there's our listeners are going to know know of different SVDs uh, in different lines of work and different ways that they've come across um, folks seminarians as well as uh, priests and brothers. Uh, but not, let's not forget <laughs> with our last few minutes uh, of our show that the Society of the Divine Word is global. Um, so if you could just give us some some of the areas or situations where SVDs are proclaiming the gospel around the world. What are some of the global impact uh, that SVDs are having? Yeah, um, I don't know. How do you measure the impact of sharing the gospel? Yeah, um, hard to say. But, it, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the biggest group of our active members around the world work in parish ministry, okay. um, probably 15, 20 percent of the active members in Perpetual Vows. Okay. Um, and then after that is education. We do a lot of work in, in education in mm-hmm. some parts of the world, especially in Asia, and to some extent in South America. Um, but uh, otherwise affirming the rights and the dignities of, of minority peoples or indigenous peoples uh, in the Amazon, in Chile, Argentina, in New Zealand. Um, we have ministries for folks with HIV or AIDS uh, in Thailand and other places. Yeah. Um, our guys organize people to stand up to, like, the mining companies in Brazil and in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the issues and the context are are very diverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so kind of how the SVD responds in various situations uh, is diverse, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it is all about the dignity of, of the, those communities. Well, we've got just right. a minute left, and I want to make sure I get this question in, Father Weber. Um, I would like to know what you think the greatest gift that the Society of the Divine Word gives the Catholic Church right now. And we have just a little bit of time, so we'll have to give a brief answer. Okay, cut me off if you need to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really what I was talking about before in terms of our interculturality. Yeah. You know, at this time, in this point in history, when there's just so much division yeah. and and uh, so much hatred, really, really? Um, yeah. if we if we do what we we try to do to some extent, um, to show that it is possible, you know, people of different cultural backgrounds, but also, um, you know, age and and theological background, whatever, right. um, people who are different, which people who are diverse can come together, can work together right. for the common good, or in our case, uh, as Christians, for the kingdom of God, right. Right. Uh, hopefully we're a sign of hope uh, that it is possible. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone.
Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.